Lord, it's our desire tonight to sit at your feet. Well, not to be restless or distracted, but to be still before you, waiting to receive what you want to minister to every one of us tonight. Well, not only wanting to receive from you, but Lord, to give to you our praise, our offerings of worship to you. You're worthy to be worshipped, to be praised. Lord, we ask you to be our teacher tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. Great to have you here. Turn your Bible to 1 Samuel uh, 29, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Uh, I mentioned it on Sunday. If you weren't here, I'll just let you know that when we first started the church, we started in Genesis and Matthew, and we did not have any recording equipment back then. Matter of fact, on Wednesday nights, we're at my house, and a lot of people have inquired about going through the book of Genesis. It's not on the website. Uh, we'd like to put it on the radio as well. So when we finish 1 Samuel, uh, in three weeks, we're going to go back to Genesis. Yes. So we're going to do the book of Genesis, then we'll come back to 2 Samuel. book of Genesis is a great book. It's a foundation for the entire Bible. So I'm excited about it. I hope you are too. Uh, it'll be great to take a look at that. All right, well tonight we're going to continue looking at the, the life of David. And we've been looking at Saul and Samuel and David. Those are the three main people you see in the book of 1 Samuel. And as we saw last week, we saw... King Saul and, you know, being given a, his death warrant, the fact that he was going to die. If you were here last week, we titled the message, Walk Not in the Counsel of the Ungodly. And what he had done is he had gone to a witch or a medium when he could not get the answer he wanted from God. And it's just so much like the world today. If, if we don't get the answer we want from the Bible or we don't get it from, you know, you know godly counsel, we want to run to the world to get someone to agree with what we want to do. And, you know, it's, it is interesting that he consulted a witch, and here we are, it's Halloween, and we got people dressed up like witches all over the county. You know, it is voted the most favorite holiday of Santa Cruz. That just means that we need to be shining a light really bright around here, amen? amen. So reasons why so many foolishly turn, we saw out of fear. You know, because we're afraid, we want to run to the world for counsel instead of resting in the Lord. When we don't get the answer we want from God, when we want someone to tell us what we want to hear... And then we saw the results last week in Saul's life that ungodly counselors have no answers and no wisdom. Amen? Watch daytime TV sometime. And watch them talk about the issues of the day. And when it's all over, you're no closer to an answer than when you started. If anything, you're more confused. Because the Bible says to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, and our, our God has all the answers. We see, too, that when we seek ungodly counsel, it does not address our real problem. The real problem is not our problem. The real problem is our walk with God. If our walk with God is right, the problem's not a problem anymore. Amen? Amen. It's his problem. He deals with it. He handles it. Unfortunately for Saul, he had missed that. And lastly, we saw that when we turn to ungodly counsel, it doesn't strengthen us, but it leaves us weak and feeble. So if you were not here, grab the CD or their tape of last week. They're always free. So Saul's character was revealed in his his, real, his lack of real repentance and how far from God he was and how rebellious his actions had taken him. If you'll recall, the prophet Samuel was dead. And because the prophet Samuel was dead, he then needed someone to turn to. Well, he wanted to turn to the priest, but guess what? He had killed most of the priests earlier when he found out they were aiding and abetting David, even though they didn't know that he was opposed to them. And so that's the, the kind of man that he was. You know, and at the same time, in the middle of all that, you see David's character being very different. David had 
continued to be faithful even after Saul had thrown spears at him. Saul was the king of the flesh. He had failed miserably, but David, on the contrary, is God's man. He is the anointed king. He was the slayer of Goliath. He was a mighty warrior. He was a worshiper of God. He was one who refused to take vengeance upon Saul. Unless you start to think David's perfect. At the same time, he lied and 85 priests and their families were killed. He had allowed pride to cause him to seek vengeance upon Nabal. He had allowed lust to, t- to cause him to take multiple wives. He had allowed fear to chase him out of the land of promise into the land of the enemy. So as we come tonight to the life of David, as we continue looking at this man, we find him aligned with the enemy, about to go into battle against God's people. It's amazing to look at David sometimes. Because he is a roller coaster ride. I mean, one moment he seems to be the most passionately on fire for God in a godless generation. And then you look a, a chapter later and he's so far away from the Lord. But you know what? That reminds me of me. How about you? Amen? Amen. I mean, how we're walking on fire with God, for God. We're serving him with our whole heart. And we can allow circumstances or trials or fear, just like David, to finally just say, that's enough. And get in our flesh. And that's exactly what David has done. So lessons to be learned from tonight's text. The potential for rebellion and fleshly depravity in the heart of every man and woman. Every one of us. Every one of us are tempted. Every one of us. None of us is above temptation or above falling into sin. Amen? Amen. And so we see that's in the heart of every man and woman. And we see it in the heart of David. A man after God's own heart. That he falls into depravity and sin. And he doesn't really fall. He jumps. And that's typically what we do. We also will see, though, to counterbalance that, the incredible depths of God's grace. Because even as David is in rebellion, he's going to protect him from his own fleshly desires. And again, he's going to, not because he's rebellious, but because God still has a plan for his life. That should be an encouragement for all of us, that God has a plan for our lives. And even when we're in rebellion, our sin may have consequences. But ultimately, if we are his, we will come back. Amen. Amen? He will draw us back. And we will respond if we are truly His children. As followers of the true and living God, we we are to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, and we are to minister to the world and not have fellowship with it. So if you're a note taker tonight, I titled the message, When God's People Rebel. When God's People Rebel. And we're going to see four marks of a believer when he is walking in rebellion. These are good reminders for all of us. These are things you will see in the life of someone who is walking in rebellion against God. Number one, they will be numbered among the enemy. You've heard me say this many times. You want to know the person you are? Look at your friends. You are the people you hang out with. And when you're in rebellion, you will be numbered among the enemies of God. Number two, your true allegiance will be questions. People will really wonder where you stand. If you stand for God with your whole heart, nobody will question it. They may not like it, but they won't question it. You know, I did prison ministry for four and a half years every Tuesday night. And the prisoners used to tell me, if you stand for God in prison, if you say you're a Christian and you never waver, no one will ever mess with you. But if you're a hypocrite, they'll jump all over you. And I think the same is true in the world. When, we're, when our allegiance wanes and we start going back and forth, even the world will start to question us. And we'll see that tonight with King David. Thirdly, in the midst of rebellion, you will receive false praise from the enemy. The world loves to praise ungodly behavior. Go down to the mall tonight. They're having a big parade party. It's Halloween and people are praising ungodly behavior. And when you're outside of God's will, the world will praise you for your actions. 
They will encourage you. You're cheating on your wife. You'll have guys in the office going, ah, oh, yeah, that a boy. Hey, way to go. Right? That's what the world does. That's why we walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. The world calls good evil and evil good. And fourthly, when God's people rebel, we're, give, we're given the way of escape and we continue to align with the enemy. God will make the way of escape and we will continue to walk in the way of rebellion. When we're in rebellion, we will ignore those opportunities to get right with God. So sad, God will open up a huge opening for us when we are tempted. It happens every single time. Who can bear witness with that that that's true? Here comes a temptation. He opens this huge opening and you just sidestep it and choose to continue on in our sinful behavior. We've all done it. We know what it's like. And this is a sign of someone who's walking in rebellion. When we choose worldly position and popularity over faithful obedience to God. So let's begin in verse 1. When God's people rebel, marks of a believer who is walking in rebellion. Number one, he'll be numbered among the enemy. Verse 1 of chapter 29. Then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Aphek. Now back in chapter 28, the Philistines had gathered their armies together for war, it says. And that was the reason that caused Saul to seek direction from the Lord, and then not hearing from the Lord, he turned to the witch at Endor. Remember, he came and he sought direction from the Lord. He sought direction through the Urim and the Thummim. He sought direction through the... And he found no direction from God. He heard nothing from God. So what did he do? He turned to the witch. Why did he do it? Because he was afraid. Because he was fearful. Now, I want to point something out. When God doesn't speak, it's because he's already spoken. The reason that Saul didn't get any more instruction, he'd already given him enough instruction. He'd already told Saul, you're not the king anymore. If he had repented and stepped down from the throne and put David there where he belonged and got on his face before Almighty God, he wouldn't need any more instruction. But instead, he wants to continue on in his sinful behavior and he wants God to give him direction on how to continue on in it. God's never going to give you instructions on how to continue in your sinful behavior. Amen? Well, God's not talking to me. God's talking, you're not listening. Amen? Is that true or not? And so God had spoken to Saul repeatedly. He spoke through Samuel. He had spoken to him over and over again. It was Saul who was not listening. And now, because of that, he had panicked, gone to the witch at Endor. And so they're still, this is them gathering up for war. And it says at Aphek. Now, Aphek means the place of restraint. And if you are, we're paying really good attention. This is the same place where the Philistines had defeated Israel back in chapter 4. Back in chapter 4, there was a prophet, or not a prophet, excuse me, the high priest, Eli. He had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. It's where Samuel grew up living in their home. Hophni and Phinehas were two ungodly priests. They were in line to be high priests, at least the oldest one was. Would have taken Eli's place, but they had defiled the tabernacle. They were getting drunk there. It says they were even sleeping with women there. And in the time when there was a war, they decided to take the ark to try to force God's hand, and they brought the ark with them out into battle. Like, we're going to show you, we're going to bring you our God. You know, their faith should not have been in the ark of God, but in the God of the ark. And so they brought the ark out in front of them, and you know what happened? They got slaughtered, and the ark was taken captive by the Philistines. So Aphek was this place where they had lost a mighty battle because they were in rebellion against God. And guess what? They're right back in that same place, back there in Aphek. Now it's interesting. So that's where the Philistines are. They're back in a place where they had won a battle against Israel. But look what it says. And the Israelites 
and camped by a fountain which is in Jezreel. Now Jezreel means God sows. And this is the valley where the city of Megiddo is located. Those of you who went to Israel with us or may go with us, we go to Megiddo every year. And it's interesting, Har Megiddo, Mount of Megiddo, is where we get Armageddon. So this is the place where Israel will one day have its greatest victory. And Jezreel was this place again in Megiddo. So it's interesting to look at this contrast. The Philistines are gathered together at a place where Israel had one of its greatest defeats, where the ark had been captured, where the priest had been killed because of their disobedience and rebellion against God. And where are the children of Israel? They're in the place where one day Israel will have its greatest victory. So where do we find David? Is David in Jezreel? Is he with the children of Israel? Is he in the place where God will have his greatest, will Israel have their greatest victory one day when the Lord's going to come back on their side? Or is he in the place where Israel had suffered the greatest defeat aligned with the, the godless pagans? Where do we find David when he's in rebellion? Look at verse 2. And the lords of the Philistines passed in review by hundreds and by thousands. But David and his men passed in review at the rear with Achish. Now, imagine the princes sitting there. They're getting ready to go out to battle. Kind of like, you know, you see these things sometimes on TV, on the History Channel. And, you know, the, the, the armies are going by. Right? And they're going by and they're inspecting the army as they go by. And this is kind of the scene here. The, these, uh, you know, princes are there and the armies are going by as they prepare to go out to battle. And as, uh, and as they're all going by, all of a sudden they notice something very odd. 600 Hebrews and David leading the way. Who are they about to fight? The Hebrews. Can you imagine? I never saw this happen, you know, in World War II. You know, I never saw Adolf Hitler with the Germans marching by and then a bunch of Americans at the back part, right? That never happened, right? There would be a war right there. Well, that's kind of what's happening. You know, they're all marching by and all of a sudden there are the Hebrews. Not only that, but David. Now remember, David was the mightiest of all their warriors. Everybody knew who David was. And so all of a sudden they look up and they see David. They think, what in the world is he doing here? You know, even the enemy recognizes when we are outside of God's will. If we are supposed to be standing with God, even an unbeliever, you know what the worst thing they can, I mean, one of the most brutal things ever is when you get rebuked by an unbeliever. Has that ever happened to you before? It's happened to me? Oh. You just want to crawl in a hole, right? Doesn't your Bible say, oh, well, actually, yeah, it does. You know, right? And you just, you just fold up. And here it is. David's in numbered among the enemy. And the enemy's like, what is this guy doing here? He doesn't belong. He's on the wrong side. And the Philistines recognize it, but David doesn't. The world recognizes that this man of God is not where he's supposed to be, but the man of God is so far away from God because he's in rebellion, he doesn't even recognize the fact that he's away from the Lord. Notice this too. David and his men passed in review at the rear. It's interesting. He should have been leading God's people. Instead, he was following the enemy. Instead of being in the front of God's people leading the way as the king, anointed king of Israel, he was following behind those enemies of Almighty God. What a turn of events. Brought here by listening to his heart Instead of God's word. Remember that it goes back to chapter 27 when it said David moved by his heart 
felt that Saul was going to kill him, so he fled the land. He wasn't moved by the word of God. He was moved by his feelings. And your feelings will lie to you all day long. Amen? That's why you have this Bible in your hand to check your feelings. To make sure you're not just being moved by what your emotions or what you think, but what does the word of God say? Praise God that he's given us a plumb line of truth. Amen? Praise God, he's not only given us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us and to direct us, but the Word of God to make sure, to map out our lives. I know you've all heard it, and it's kind of corny, but B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth, right? And it really is the roadmap for life. It's an instruction manual to living in a godly way. But what had happened to David? How does he end up in the back of the enemy camp? He was moved by his feelings, and he fled God's will, and he went into the enemy camp. He left the land of promise, and went in to the world. Guys, there's nothing the world has to offer compared to what God has for us. Now what's interesting to me is the last time we saw Israel and the Philistines mounted up against each other as two armies, when was that? It was at the Valley of Elah. And at the Valley of Elah, the two armies were mounted up against each other, and there was an 11-foot, 750-pound giant covered head to toe in armor with an armor bearer coming in front of him going down to the bottom of the valley every day morning and evening for 40 days challenging the children of israel to fight him i defy the armies of right of the of god come on down and fight with me and we know what happened saul and all his men and they were all fearful and up shows david delivering you know cheese to his brothers You've heard me say this before, he was just being the milkman, right? He was showing up, delivering cheese to his brothers, being obedient. And what does he say? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against my God? The only, you know, when David showed up, the Holy Spirit showed up. He was the first guy, he was the only guy that had the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I'm positive of this. Why? Because of his response. So David goes down, slays Goliath. We know the whole story. He ends up chasing the Philistines away. Now we come to the next time they're mounted up. And is this bizarre or what? But he's now on Goliath's side. I mean, Goliath's dead, but he's over on their side now. What in the world? How did this happen? Rebellion is how it happens. When we rebel against God, we can get so far away from God so fast. Amen? That's why we need to be pressing in every day. Be in the Word every day. Be in prayer every day. Be in fellowship. Be having those who hold us accountable and hold up our hands. So sad to see how quickly David had walked away from the Lord. You know what's interesting too? Is David is carrying a weapon right now. And the weapon he's carrying is Goliath's sword. The sword that he had taken off his dead body when he had won the battle for the children of Israel, and now he's carrying the sword in his hand, about to go out and fight the very army he once stood with. You know, guys, we're either for God or we're against him. We're either walking with him or we're at odds with him. We're either his children or his enemy, and there's nothing in between. And David is such a clear picture of this, that he's gone from being this mighty warrior of God to being a man who's at odds with God. He finds himself in a place he thought he would never be among the ungodly, ready to fight against God's people. Guys, when we sin, when we backslide, when we rebel, when we turn away from the things of God, we may soon find ourselves in a place we thought we would never be standing with the enemy against God's people. It happens so quick. Take heed lest ye fall. 
instead of with God and his people against the enemy, we find ourselves at odds with him. So number one, when God's people rebel, marks of a believer when he is walking in rebellion, number one, finds himself numbered among the enemy. Guys, are you numbered among God's people or are you numbered among the enemy? Who do you spend your time with? Who are your friends? Who are the people that that people recognize you belonging with? May we be numbered among God's people, amen? And we are to minister to the world but have no fellowship with it. Number two, when we rebel against God, when God's people rebel, number two, our true allegiance is questioned. People will wonder where we really stand. Look at verse three. When the princes of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? That's a great question. Amen. That's a great question. The Hebrews should have been saying that. What in the world? They're not of us. They worship another God. They live in another land promised to them. We don't belong together. The Philistines saw David as a Hebrew and David sees himself as a Philistine. The Philistines go, that guy's a Hebrew. And he's going, oh no, I'm a Philistine. I'm one of you now. I'm aligning myself with you. But the Philistines recognize David for who he really is. The Philistines saw him as a Hebrew and David's forgottenness having started to blend in with the world. Guys, we need not to be blending into the world. We need not to be making this mistake of trying to be recognized with the world. We ought to stand out. We are called to be salt and light, amen, and to live a life different. We, like David, will become like those we hang out with, and David would have never slipped into the sinful place if he had remembered who he really was, a child of the king. Guys, remember whose kid you are. Remember the price that was paid for you. Remember that you've been adopted into the family of God. Remember that the Spirit of the living God lives inside of you, and remember where you're going to spend eternity, and that God has called you unto himself, and he wants to use you in a mighty way. And then it says, And Achish said to the princes of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me these days or these years? And to this day I find no fault in him since he defected to me. This sounds like a glowing endorsement. But you know what? When the world gives you a glowing endorsement, that's not good. If an ungodly world is singing your praises, then you must be outside of God's will. Now, I'm not saying that we can't live lives that bear fruit and people are blessed by it. Of course they will be. Even the world can see it and recognize God in us. But when they are recognizing our allegiance to the world and to their desires and their plans, we're outside of God's will. Paraphrase in Dave's speech. Since he walked away from God, he's been a perfect Philistine. He says since he defected. That's the word he uses, right? Since he walked away from God, he's been a perfect Philistine. Lord, let it never be said of us. Amen? Since he walked away from God, he's been a perfect pagan. He's been a wonderful, worldly man who's all about himself and focused on his flesh. That's not a compliment. It's a compliment from the world. But it's a sad thing when one has been so identified with the world that the ungodly defend his behavior. He's been there 16 months. He's been walking with the, with the ungodly pagans for 16 months. He's been identifying with them for 16 months, and he's come to the point now where he's really ready and willing to fight against God's people. Some commentators have said, oh, well, David was really under an undercover thing, and his whole plan all along was to infiltrate. I don't believe that for a minute. I believe David's flattered and rebelling against God. If he was, you know what? God doesn't want us to be undercover. Amen? 
God doesn't want us hiding and sneaking in. Let's sneak the gospel in some real... No, let's just bring it straight up. Amen? Show me the prophets in the Bible who, who snuck the gospel in quietly. John the Baptist, did he do that? The Apostle Paul. Peter. Daniel. I mean, they just brought it. Amen? They brought it with great boldness. That, you know, and Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So if Jesus said it and Peter said it and Paul said it, then we ought to say it. Amen? Amen. And so we see here that he's, oh, no, he wasn't undercover. He was in rebellion. He said he felt in his heart back in 1 Samuel 27. Oh, Saul's going to kill me. And he ran away out of fear, not out of faith. And because of fear, he's now outside of God's will. Verse 4. But the princes of the Philistines were angry with him. So the princes of the Philistines said to him, Make this fellow return, that he may go back to the place where you have appointed for him. And do not let him go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become our adversary. For what, what, with what could he reconcile himself to his master, if not with the heads of these men? The princes of the Philistines were angry with him. Other Philistine leaders were not in agreement with Achish at all. They didn't trust David. They feared he would turn against them in battle. And so is the plight of the, un, of the backslidden believer. At home, neither with believers or the world. The world doesn't trust them, and they're convicted when they're around believers. And that's where David is. He's backslidden. He has no place to call home because he's backslidden. He's not at home in the world. The world is, hey, no, we, bro, step up. They, they don't want him around. You're, hey, you're going to turn against us. You used to be that guy sharing your faith all the time. No, you can't come. And that, you know, you used to be the guy killing all the Philistines. You slayed Goliath. I was there. I saw it. The last thing we want is you walking with us. Go away. But you know what? He won't go home either because he's backslidden against God. Guys, the backslidden state, you're, you're in no man's land. And that's exactly where David has found himself. A born-again, spirit-filled believer makes a clear and marked stand that is recognized both in the church and in the world. And a backslidden, rebellious walk brings questions of sincerity and hypocrisy from both sides. Lord, help us to stand up to where everyone can recognize that we're your kids. We want to be identified with you. Verse 5. Is this not David of whom they sang to one another and dances, saying, Saul has slayed his thousands and David his ten thousands? His ten thousands of what? Philistines. Philistines. Right? They sing songs about how many of us he used to kill. We don't want him here. Send him away. Get that guy out of here. Didn't they sing songs about him? You know what? How tragic that he was at once a point being used so mightily by God that God was so glorified in his life and now he's turned around to being a man who in a lot of ways is bringing mockery to the name of God. And we're going to see it only get worse as we continue on. His faith-filled victory over Goliath seemed like a distant, distant memory for the backslidden David, but the Philistines remembered it better than he did. Isn't that amazing? The ungodly Philistines remember David's godly attributes better than David does. They remember the victories God gave him better than David does. David is walking in fear, not by faith. That's why. He's allowing his feelings to lead him instead of trusting in what God has told him. The same thing can happen to every one of us. We should be far more aware of all God has graciously done in and through us than the lost world is. So when God's people rebel, marks of a believer who is walking in rebellion, number one, he's numbered among the enemy, 
And number two, his true allegiance is questioned. He's comfortable neither with the Lord nor with the world. That old song about David has come back to haunt him. Saul has slayed his thousands and David has tens of thousands. It's the same one that had caused him to flee the first time he was among the Philistines and to act like a madman. And yet again, but you know what? It should have been something that brought him great courage and great faith to remember all that God had done in him. But instead, it brought about conviction. Look at verse 6. The third thing we'll see when God's people rebel is in the midst of rebellion, you'll receive praise from your enemy, praise from the enemy. Then Achish called David and said to him, Surely as the Lord lives, you have been upright. According to whose standard? And what's amazing, he says, as surely as Yahweh lives. That's what he says. He speaks of the God of David, this pagan Philistine. As sure as Yahweh lives, you have been upright. Upright doing what? Well, as far as Achish knows, David's been out killing the enemies of the Philistines. He's been killing the very people he once stood with. Now, he lied about who he was killing, but the point is that he thought he was standing upright in the eyes of the world. David's actions, while good in the eyes of the ungodly Philistine, were disobedient and rebellious in the eyes of the Lord. The world will always praise ungodly behavior. The Bible says that they will call good evil and evil good. Do we live in that day or what? I mean, we live in a time right now where anything good is mocked. Every time you see a Christian on TV, he's some, you know, super self-righteous person who's blasting people, right? Or he's a doofus, right? But if you're, you know, if you're standing up for homosexuality or if you're sleeping around out, then you're just really, you're a wonderful person. You know, the ungodly things of this world are being praised while those who stand for the things of God are being mocked. But you know what? Our God will not be mocked. And our God is faithful and he's in control. And we need all the more reason that you and I need to be standing up in days like this. Amen? They keep trying to take God out of the schools and God off of this. And God, you know, they just recently passed something saying that they can no longer say in the name of God when somebody dies and they give them the flag. They just passed this saying, you can't say that anymore. Because one atheist complained. And we're a country that is driven around by one atheist. Every, you, know, and pray, you know, I'm just so glad that our God's in control. Amen? And I'm so glad that they can't vote him out of office and he'll still be God next week. And no matter what they do. But in the midst of all of that, there are times when you just get, you go, man, Lord. Well, praise God, he's faithful. The world praises ungodly behavior. Be careful. If the world's praising you too much, watch out. Check your, check your attitude and what you're doing. Amen? What in the world am I doing that the world's praising me this much? Then he says this, though, look. Yahweh, you know, he says, Yahweh, as the Lord lives, you've been upright, and you're going out, and you're coming in with me, and the army is good in my sight. For to this day I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming. Nevertheless, the lords do not favor you. Now, what lords is he talking about? The Philistine lords don't favor you. Imagine someone pulling you aside. Satan doesn't like you very much. Right? Praise God would be the answer, Amen. Well, I hope he didn't like me. I hope he hates me. Amen? And the point is, you know, the pagan lords of the Philistines, they don't approve of you, David. And David ought to be dancing in the street when he hears that. Instead, 
I mean, it's amazing. These things were words that he would have once worn as badges of honor. But now they're a crushing blow to him. David didn't like being rejected, as few people do. But God is using this rejection to remove him from an ungodly situation. Look at verse 7. Then return now and go in peace, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. David, do this so you don't displease the lords of the Philistines. Now let me ask you a question. Let's go back to the Valley of Elah. And go back to that David, as he's about to fight Goliath. Can you imagine someone coming up to David before the battle saying, Excuse me, David, I don't think you should do that. Because you're going to displease the lords of the Philistines. You know what David would say? I hope, I, you know what, I, I hope I displease, I want to displease, I can't wait to displease. Let me know if I ever stop displeasing them. Wouldn't that have been David's response? Let me know if I ever stop, but you know what? Now, some time goes by and he's worried about displeasing the Philistine. Guys, we cannot worry about displeasing a world that doesn't know God. Now again, we should not be arrogant, self-righteous jerks. Amen? You've heard me say before, I've had co-workers who, well, I'm being persecuted for my faith. No, dude, you're being persecuted because you're a jerk. You know, when you go get in people's chat, we should love people supernaturally. Amen? But we should, as we love them and as we minister to them, though, we should not be aligning with the things of the world. We should not be trying to be men pleasers, but God pleasers. May we not seek to find favor with the world or seek praises from the enemy because the world does call good evil and evil good. So when God's people rebel, number one, we're numbered among the enemy. Number two, true, or true allegiance is questioned. People want to know where we stand. In the midst of rebellion, we receive praise from the enemy. And the final point, verse 8. So David said to Achish, but what have I done? Now this is, what kind of question is this? Satan's displeased you, with you. What, what have I done? What have I done to make him mad? The ungodly world is displeased. What have I done? David seems genuinely disappointed that he's not going to be able to fight with the Philistines against Israel. And again, some people said, oh no, he was just playing a game. I, I don't think so. He had left the land of promise and he had gone into this place and he is in rebellion against God right now. This is going to be the God, this is a man for God's own heart. Now this is, again, does this encourage you by God's grace? This is a man after God's own heart. This guy right here in this chapter. You know, you look back in 1 Samuel and say, oh yeah, fighting Goliath, I could see that. This David, you're like, who is this guy? How could God use this guy? How can God use us? God's faithful when we're faithless. And God's not going to give up on David, and he doesn't give up on you. It says, and to this day, what have you found in your servant, as long as I've been with you, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? Your Lord, the king? Which king are you talking about? The king of the Philistines. Your Lord, who's your Lord? The king of the Philistines. Guys, we're all serving somebody. Amen? You're either serving the true and living God or you're serving the gods of this world. We're all serving somebody. And David at this point has switched his allegiance from serving the true and living God to switch to serving the false gods of this world. Again, being found faithful by the enemy is not a good thing. 
A friend of the world is an enemy with God. And David's rebellion has turned his heart and thoughts and actions upside down. It's amazing the transformation in this guy. You know what though is great? great. Our transformation can be that quick and that bad. But you know what? It can be just that quick getting right with God too. Amen? You can take a million steps away as you've heard me say before. And you can take one step back and praise God for the incredible grace that he shows us. How far David is falling, referring to the Philistine king as his Lord and the children of Israel as his enemies. Rebellion against God will always turn us upside down. Amen? This town needs to be turned right side up. And that's going to happen when we get right with God. Verse 9. Then Achish answered and said to David, I know you are good in my sight as an angel of God. Isn't it amazing how the world tries to use, like, godly terms? They'll do that often. But yet, they don't mean what they mean in the Bible. Amen? If you haven't figured this out, you know, the cults will often speak the name of God, but they're not talking about the God we serve. Amen? They talk about themselves being God one day. They talk about Jesus sometimes. They're not talking about the Jesus Christ of the Bible. They're not talking about the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. And sometimes they'll use terminology like he's talking about the angel of the lord and what kind of person he is but he's not talking about the true and living god the world praises rebellion you've been good in my sight as the as an angel of god what god are you talking about not the god of the bible our goals as believers again is to be faithful in the sight of god not men and then he says Nevertheless, the prince of the Philistines has said, he shall not go up with us to battle. You know what? God is blessing David here, and he has no idea. He moves, he can't, David won't obey. So you know what he does? He gets the world to turn David around. You know, our God can do that, amen? Now, don't count on it. What I mean by that is don't just say, oh, I'm just going to keep rebelling. If God wants me to turn around, he'll get someone to come and grab me and turn me around. No, God can do that, but he won't always, amen? But God was not done with David. So what did God do? God changed the hearts of the Philistines because David's heart wouldn't change to not allow David to go and do something in such deep rebellion against the Lord. God can use the world to turn us around when we won't listen, amen? Praise God for that. God graciously sparing David, making a way of escape from his sinful direction to come against God's people. David wanted to fight with the Philistines against God's people. David's heart is in a bad place, but God would not abandon him. We should praise God for the times when he has kept us from sinning as much as we wanted to. Amen? So gracious. Verse 10. Now therefore, rise early in the morning with your master's servants who have come up with you, and as soon as you are up early in the morning and have light, depart. He's given a pass to go home. All right, David, in the morning, we're going to go to battle, you depart. Now, where should David have gone at that point? It's not that tough a question. Where should David have gone? Israel. Whose king is he ultimately? Are they about to be attacked? Where should the mightiest of their warriors be? Fighting with them, amen? And what does David do? Well, he doesn't do so good. But he has an opportunity to head back to the people of God, to the land of promise. But David, like a lukewarm believer, remained in rebellion. While not fighting against Israel, wasn't fighting with them. 
Given an opportunity to escape, what would David do? Again, he's not fighting with them. But God's not called us to be on the sideline, amen? God's not called us to just step back and do nothing. God's called, you know, be hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth, amen? God wants us to be proactive for the kingdom of God. Doing nothing is almost as bad as working against the kingdom of God. And so David should have been, but what does David do? Look what it says, verse 11. So David and his men rose early to depart in the morning to return where? To the land of the Philistines. He goes back to the land of the Philistines while the, his people are about to be attacked. He remained with the enemy in the world. But guess what? We're going to see next week, it's going to take an even greater trial to bring David to the end of himself to get him to look up. It says there, and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So the Philistines are marching off to go fight the very people God has called him to serve as the spiritual leader over. And what does he do? He goes back to the land of the Philistines. I'm just going to sit this one out. You know what? The enemy, if he cannot destroy you, he will distract you. One of his greatest, you know, you've heard it said, you know, if he says no God, people won't believe him. So he doesn't say no God. Oh, they won't buy that. So what he says instead is no hurry. I don't worry about it. You can witness later. You can use your gifts later. You can share your feet down the road. If he can distract you and keep you in effect, and that's what's happened with David. David now is not fighting against God's people, but he's not fighting with them either. And you know what? That's much of the church today. Amen? You know, maybe not fighting against God's people, maybe not blaspheming his name in the way they live, but you know what? Not standing up for him either. Lord, help us to live lives standing up for God, not standing on the sideline, not being satisfied with a lukewarm, you know, walk. God, get us into the battle. God didn't put you guys in Santa Cruz by chance, amen? Amen. I mean, you know, look where God put you. You're in one of the most godless places on this planet, and if you don't know that, you haven't lived here long. Amen? All that being said, God loves these people, doesn't he? And he loves them so much, he'd rather die than live without them, and he loves them so much, he put you here to be salt and light. You've heard this illustration before. You know, they don't take all the lights and put them on one street corner, amen? Amen? They spread them all out. Why? Because they want there to be light everywhere. And you might be the only light in your office, in your building, in your neighborhood. In a city where less than 3% of the people go to church, you probably are. Amen? And you're certainly outnumbered. But you know what? You plus God is the majority. And God doesn't want you sitting back and waiting for someone else to stand up. Let me encourage you. Pray about how God would use you to impact this county for his kingdom. God is so faithful Look what he does. He protects David. Even when we are faithless, he is faithful. And we must learn to trust that even in the midst of the trials of life, God has put them there to draw us closer to him. And know that God loves us enough to allow our sin to result in the most heavy of consequences in in order to get us to look up. God loves you enough to do whatever it takes. Amen? And aren't you glad? And so when you get bummed out that the consequences are heavy, say, thank you, God, the consequences are heavy, so I'll start looking up. Amen? Next week, the consequences are going to get so heavy, David's going to start looking up. Let me encourage you to read the next chapter. He's going to come home and he's going to find his family gone. The place torched. And when he goes to find them, he's desperate. And what, you know what he does when he's desperate? Oh, God. Isn't it amazing how that happens? It's been said there's no such thing as a drowning atheist. Amen? 
Everyone cries. There's a limit where everyone cries out, and David's going to come to that place next week. So in closing, but before we leave tonight, the reason we're done a little quicker than usual, my heart tonight is to spend 10 minutes or so getting into groups and praying. You know, this is a night tonight when the enemy is being magnified. Let's magnify the Lord. Let's pray and intercede on behalf of this county. Amen? Pray and intercede on behalf of what's going on around this county and around the world right now in the name of All Hallows Eve, right? But you know what? Aren't you glad the greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world? He's a faithful God. So in closing, when God's people rebel, marks of a believer who is walking in rebellion, number one, he's numbered among the enemy. You want to know the type of person you are? Look at your friends. Number two, your true allegiance will be questioned. People will wonder where you really stand. Number three, in the midst of rebellion, you'll receive praise from the enemy because the world praises ungodly behavior. They call good evil and evil good. And last point, given the way of escape, continues to align with the enemy, choosing worldly position and popularity over faithful obedience to God. Whenever we are tempted to sin, the Bible promises us that He never tempts us beyond what we are able, but with it, He makes a way of escape. And with those ways of escape, we can go turn our eyes to Him and ask Him to help us to, keep, to, to walk in faithful obedience and not turn and respond in rebellion. Amen? So Lord, help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, we praise You, we worship You, Lord. I pray as we go to this time of prayer, Lord, that we would intercede on behalf of the city. We'd intercede on behalf of the hundreds of thousands in this county that don't know you. Lord, I pray also that we would pray for specific people by name. Lord, and that we would pray for co-workers and neighbors and lost family and friends. And Lord, that we would pray for revival in this county. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit upon this place. Fill us to overflowing. Start in our hearts first. And so, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord, that that veil has been torn, that we can enter into the Holy of Holies. Lord, that when we pray in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can come directly to the Father. And, Lord, we ask that during this prayer time that we would intercede, that we would be a time of, of praise and adoration, but also a time, Lord, of making petitions for those we so desperately need you, and we intercede on their behalf. We love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord, that you desire for us to, to draw near to you through prayer. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Let's go ahead and take about 10 minutes or so. Get in a group of about four or five people. Intercede for what's going on tonight, but also...